Okay, let's turn to John chapter 6. So last week we looked at the beginning part of John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus coming and walking on the water out to where the disciples were. Now we're going to begin with probably verse 22. This is where the multitude now that that were fed in the wilderness, or were, maybe I shouldn't say the wilderness, wherever they were exactly, uh, where was it, uh, Tiberias? They're fed, they experienced the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and now they set out to find Jesus. Jesus has withdrew himself because he sensed that they wanted to come and make him king. And so they're following him where he is. In verse 22, on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there were no other boats there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And I mentioned last week that there are various reasons why people can seek Jesus, and many times it's for self-centered reasons. Uh, And there are reasons that Christians seek the Lord. And at various times when a a person is young in the Lord, uh, the Lord allows that, he, he's fine with that, if we're seeking him maybe for an incorrect reason. And, you know, you hear people say, well, if Lord, if you do this for me, if you get me out of this fix, or if you get me out of jail, I'll serve you, I'll do this, I'll do that. So there's, there's conditions they place upon the Lord, so to speak, in their own mind, and their own life. So Lord, if you perform and you do this for me, in other words, See, the Lord wants us to be his servant. He does not want us to try to make him our servant. But sometimes when you're young, you don't see certain things, you don't understand certain things, and the Lord, you know, he's, he's fine with it, he lets it go. And sometimes he even goes along with it. People here are seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. And the Lord does what he does, he says what he says here, to try to loose them from where they are, to, to shake them up, to get them in their thinking to move away from the way they're, they're thinking in the direction that they're pushing. So here in uh, verse 24, they go to Capernaum seeking Jesus, and it looks on the surface like you know, they're seeking Jesus, and that's all, that's, that's great. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, and when they used the word rabbi, that's, that was like a compliment, that's a, a word of honor. They're saying, teacher, teacher, you know, and even on the surface there, that looks good, and they're trying to, I believe, deflect away from what their true motives are, but you can't fool Jesus. See, Jesus looks right past the surface in a person's life and he looks down in their heart and he sees what's going on. That's why 
the Lord responds the way he does in the Gospels. We see that, you know, he penetrates right through the top surface, the, the, the top layer of things to see what's going on. And he himself said, you, you lay the axe to the root, you know, that's what needs to be done uh, if you're going to, to destroy something. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, well, they say, Rabbi, when did you come here? So he's, he's getting right to the point here. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and the fishes. Now, remember, things are done in the kingdom of God. And the Lord does certain things for certain reasons. So the Lord will do a particular thing, and there's a reason why he does it, and it has a purpose. Now, many times the purpose is not seen, or the purpose is in the, the mind of an individual missed, or they take something and they will twist it. And so the purpose of the sign, my, my Bible says signs. If you have the King James, it may say miracles. Anybody have the King James? Yours says miracles. Uh, so he's talking about what had taken place here with the feeding, with the 5,000. The purpose of the feeding of the 5,000 was not just to physically feed their body. That, that was true. They did not have food. But, you know, if that were the case, then like the disciples suggested, they could have went and bought food if that was the only thing the Lord was looking toward. He wasn't looking toward that. I mean, he was, but that was not the primary thing. That's why the miracle, the sign... The five fish and the two, uh, the five loaves and the two fish, uh, broken and given to them, and they knew that that was a miracle. But see, the sign was to point them toward the Lord. It was not to remain in the natural plane in the natural level, and you see this uh, with the children of Israel in the wilderness where. They saw sign after sign. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw the manna God provided for them physically, but they totally missed the typology there. And they related to the Lord in the wilderness. They related to the Lord based upon the natural. You know, oh, I'd rather go back into bondage and slavery in Egypt so that we could eat the garlic and the leeks and the onions. And so they're moving in this natural plane. So the, the purpose of the miracles there, of course, was to deliver them out of the hand of Pharaoh, yes. But it was to, to have their hearts move toward the Lord and to see him in a different way, not just to see in the natural plane and to keep their attention there, but there would, there would be a movement in their heart to the Lord and see him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they never saw that, those in the wilderness. So, so the Lord does something here, as he did in the wilderness, for a reason, for a purpose. And the purpose for healing the blind man, the purpose for uh, healing the man 
who was disabled was not just for sight and that they, the person could walk because each of those individuals, their body died, went into the grave. So, you know, so they got an extra 30 years of life or 20 years, whatever it may be. But the point was that they still went into the grave. Their bodies died. So the purpose of the miracles, the purpose of the sign is not just the physical thing. Now, the Lord has compassion and he does heal, but that's not the point. The point is that there is much more going on than the physical thing. So that there is, you know, a, a spiritual realm. And to be able to see and function and to understand and perceive and have insight into the spiritual realm, you know, the person has to be lifted out of this natural thing. Uh, not that you're physically translated, but, you know, you're lifted out of that thinking. And now you see the Lord in a different way. And because now you're looking to him, he can start to teach and, and uh, instruct and give you insight into a spiritual realm that is totally hidden to the individual. So they're coming to Jesus based upon this natural miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And Jesus says that you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs and you saw the miracles, and now you know, you're seeking Jesus because you saw the miracles, that your heart now is, is going in another direction. He says, no, 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 no. You're not seeking me for that reason. That was the purpose of it, but that's not the reason you're seeking me. You're seeking me because you ate. You're seeking me because of your stomach, and you want your stomach full again. And so the whole purpose behind uh, the feeding is missed by them. All they see is, you know, they ate one meal. How far does one meal take you? Well, it can take you to the next meal, which may be six, eight hours later. That's all further a meal is going to take you. The feeding, even though it was a miracle, only took them to their next hunger. That was not the intent, nor today is it. Whenever the Lord does something for an individual, does something special for them, and maybe performs a miracle in their life, that's fantastic, that's great, that shows God's graciousness and his love toward us. But see, that's not an end in and of itself. It's not just to have the testimony that the Lord healed you. The greater testimony is that that very thing now has placed you in a direction toward the Lord and you're moving toward him. And because of that, the purpose of the healing or the sign finds its fruition or, or it, it actually, you know, finds its fulfillment in you now because, you know, it's not just a, a natural thing on a natural level. And so the, these people here are coming to Jesus and they're going to, you'll see this, they're going to keep pushing this particular thing and their, uh, intent, their intent here is to get what they want from Jesus. And he's not going to have anything to do with that. Because if he, if he does, he could very well have 
done the same thing again. But if he does, then there will never be hope for them. They will never, ever be able to be moved from this natural plane of living to a much higher plane of living. So Jesus functioning, uh, his view, his desire is to take them up and out of this. And as I said, the same thing occurred in the wilderness. And the Lord was only successful with three people. That's amazing to me. You know, the estimate is it was over a million people, maybe two, two million plus Jews in the wilderness. Only three people got it. Only three. Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. The rest of them, I mean, think about that. None of them, none of them understood. None of them caught it in spirit. So it never really bothers me being in a small church. Because you, know, you can be in a mega church of 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people. And they may be Christians. They'll go to heaven. Uh, but there are certain things that the majority will never catch in spirit. The majority will not. So it will take certain things. It will take a certain heart type and, and other, other factors. And, and sitting under the teaching. And I, I believe not all teaching is the same. You know, and I don't necessarily mean doctrinal-wise. I mean as far as the spirit of wisdom and revelation that's coming forth. You know, if that's functioning and that's moving, sitting under that, will bring a person many times to, not always, but it'll, they'll bring them to, to sight, to vision. They'll start to see, see things eventually. Verse 27. So Jesus continues on. He says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, so, so he, he's saying again that you know, you're moving here on this level. You're, you're talking about your natural hunger. And Jesus is trying to lift them out of that and say, no, don't labor for that, but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. There's something else moving in the spiritual realm here for you. Uh, because God, the Father, has set his seal on him. Uh, verse 28, Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, this sounds on the surface that they want to, to work a work for God. But the work that they're, they're asking about and the work that they want to work is to do what Jesus did to multiply the loaves and the fishes to bring food you know, to their table, to them you know, personally. So to work the works of God that they're talking about is, well, Lord, if you're not going to do this for me, then teach me how to do it so you can go do what you want to do and I can have food whenever I want. So I won't have to work. I can just take it out and just break a little off and multiply it. You know, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? See, the works of God they're talking about 
is what they saw Jesus do. They want to do it. How, how can we do this? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe. So believe is different than doing. You know that, right? It's different. See, they want to do, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. No. You need to believe. See, because if they believe the Lord, and they believe His words, eventually there will be works, not the works they're talking about, but there will be the works of the Lord, like you'll see with the apostles, that come out of their life, and that will be uh, for the glory of God and for his purpose, not to feed a person's natural appetite. So you can see here that, that they're continuing to push, so to speak, their agenda. They want to, to have their bellies filled. And they like what Jesus did. Um, they, they really saw, they said, wow, miracle. You know, let's, let's go to the church where you know, they can break the loaves and, and multiply them. Let's go see the miracles. Well, a person may go to a place where there's miracles and totally miss uh, what the miracles are to bring about. And, and this happens, I believe, quite often. I like the song we sing upstairs, Seek the Giver, Not the Gift. See, people seek the gift, and, and that can be okay sometimes, but uh, I would not want the gift without the, the Lord. We seek the giver, not the gift. Well, if you seek the giver, then you know he is the gift, and he gives gifts. But just the gift, without you know, seeking this, you know, the, the giver, that's, that's different. Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you, will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now, I think that's quite a strange statement considering they just saw this sign. What sign will you perform? So, so they're still focusing upon their natural appetite, filling their belly, uh, because if they would have truly saw the sign, like Jesus said, that would produce a belief in him. So a belief in him means that you see him high and lifted up, and you see yourself as low down below. So in other words, Jesus is far, far above us, and you see him as, as God, as the Son of God. Uh, they're asking him here to perform a sign that they may see and, and believe him. Well, believe him. What, what, what do you mean, believe him? What work will you do? So now they're going to quote scripture. Who else quotes scripture to the Lord in the Bible? Yeah. And who else? Who else quoted scripture to Jesus? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. And why did Satan quote scripture to Jesus? To try to tempt him? Try to trip him up? 
So see, so Satan used the word of God uh, and twisted it to try to get Jesus to do what Satan wanted him to do. Why did the Pharisees quote scripture to Jesus? They disputed who he was, and they would say, okay, Abraham is our father, to try to um, bring him down to lower, a place lower than them, they, they said, you were born of fornication. So their quoting scripture to him was uh, from an incorrect motive and an incorrect heart. Now, these people here are going to quote scripture to Jesus for their own self-centered reason. And remember, self-centeredness is flesh. Not this flesh, carnal flesh. It's um, of the old sinful carnal nature, the flesh. And so they say, Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're, they're still pushing their same thing here. <clears throat> pushing this and pushing this and pushing this. They're quoting this scripture to Jesus and saying, well, you know, our fathers in the wilderness, they had manna, that was bread from heaven. The Lord fed them every day, didn't he? The manna came every day. That's what they want. They want the same thing to work the works of God. They want Jesus to do the same thing where that the manna or the bread from heaven would come every day for them. So their agenda or their motive is not right. They're seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. And they're not letting up on this thing. They keep moving in this and moving in this to try to get Jesus to do what they want him to do. And so that, that can be, I believe, a, a quite, quite a dangerous thing to do. Because, you know, we don't always know what is right. Most of the time, we, we don't have, I shouldn't say most of the time, a lot of the time, we don't have the right direction. We might not know the direction that we're to go in something, but yet we're going to pray and tell the Lord what to do. I mean, unless the Lord, you know, the Spirit of God gives you a prayer, you know, it's better to just to submit to Him and let Him have His, his will and His way rather than telling the Lord what to do. Now, as I said before, sometimes the Lord goes along with certain things for certain reasons. But he's not going to bend his will and purpose to suit some Christian's will, what they want to do. And so he says here, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Now, that, <laughs> that's quite a revelation here. Quite a revelation. They're not going to see this. Neither did the um, Israelites in the wilderness have that revelation, what Jesus says here. 
that Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So wait a second. <laughs> they didn't get the real bread from heaven? Well, what did they eat? See, they, they missed it. They missed it. They ate the manna, didn't they? And we're going to come back to the manna thing in a little bit. Verse 33. Let's just, just stop there one minute. Let's just go, go into Exodus for a minute here. Exodus 16. See, Jesus here is contrasting um, the bread from heaven, the physical bread, what they're saying, the bread from heaven, to the bread from heaven that is spiritual. <coughs> so many times Jesus says certain things, and he's meaning it one way, and the people that are hearing it are interpreting it, and they think he's meaning one thing, and he's meaning something else. And you see that many times, even today, where you, know, you hear a scripture... And instead of allowing the Spirit of God to teach us, or whomever, you know, they will take that and they will attach their own meaning to it, or what they think it means. And what we think something means is not necessarily mean it means that. Did you know that? That's true. So Jesus is trying to show them something. They're saying this was the bread from heaven. And, and it, it was a miracle, wasn't it? The manna, it rained down every day. It was a miracle. And they, they called it, well, manna, what is it? But it, it, you know, they, they're saying it, it's, it was the, the bread from heaven. Well, it was, the, it was the bread from heaven that was physical, but it wasn't the bread from heaven that was spiritual. They never, they never saw that. They, they totally missed the typology here. What's the bread from heaven that's spiritual? Yes. The manna rained down, correct? That was a type of Jesus who came down to earth. Being the one to feed. To feed the world. So the typology in the wilderness, they totally missed it. In Exodus 16, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Verse 3. No, let's, let's just, um, no, I'll never finish if I don't keep going here. Verse 3. Uh, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in, in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us, they're saying this to Moses, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. So, it, you know, actually, the Lord is saying this, I'm going to rain uh, bread from heaven for you. So the, they, they, they read this. Or they heard it read. Uh, and it was true that he did rain bread from heaven. But they're missing the point. He rained physical bread for the physical hunger of the Israelites 
in the wilderness. Now, how are you going to feed a million people a day? Or two million people a day? That's a lot of people to feed. Think about it. That's a lot of people. Well, how are you going to feed them? Well, the Lord can do that, and he did it. So he feeds their physical body, but there was a spiritual need there that was to be met through actually seeing the sign. Not just seeing the manna come down, but seeing and perceiving in spirit the sign and that this whole thing would be connected here, that this would be a type of what the Lord was going to do. And, and they, they missed it. And the people shall go out and gather a uh, certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. See, so the test was there, and if they would have walked in his law and passed the test and continued in that, their eyes would have been open to what was really going on here, what the Lord was, was really after in all these signs. But you know, they were blind because they, they're of their hearts. They were blind. See, the hardness of heart blinds man. And that also holds true for Christians. If a, a Christian's heart begins to be hardened toward the Lord, they will lose spiritual vision and insight. They can't keep it. It, it, it just will not be able. Now, they, they may knew, know some spiritual truth. Um, they may know scripture. But as far as spiritual insight and being able to penetrate into this other realm of the spirit, they will lose that. And, and hence, you have the word in the Bible to backslide. You know, you, you no longer progress forward. You know, you backslide and you lose certain things. You may not perceive the individual most of the time, not always, most of the time do not perceive that they are losing certain things for some time. And um, it's, it's quite something. So you, in order to, to continue uh, to have uh, revelation, and I, what I mean by that is not something the Lord has revealed to you in the past, but what he reveals to you on a monthly, weekly, daily basis, what he, he takes of the word, you know, breaks and, and gives that to you and feeds you and you see, you see it, you understand it, you, you're starting to, to uh, move into this realm. That there, you know, that can be lost. And Paul says it in this way, that if those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law. So if you as a Christian are not led by the Spirit, then you're under the law. And you will see certain things related to the law, and you relate what you see to the law. You know, I have to do this, I have to do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, all that stuff. And the spiritual realm the Lord wants us to move in and function in is much different. Much different. So back in John 6, verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's trying to show them that 
there is a spiritual aspect to this whole thing. And he doesn't come out and say, this is the spiritual aspect of this. He comes out and he says, you know, this is what it is. And if the heart, if the heart of the individual is not hardened, then even though they may not understand at first, eventually they will come to some insight and understanding. Because revelation is progressive. And revelation of something takes time. Uh, and it, it takes a person walking with the Lord for a period of time. It, it may be five years. It may be eight years. Who knows? It could be ten years. Uh, there, were, there were things that took 20 years or so for me to actually see and perceive and understand it. I heard it. I believed it. And I saw it to some degree, but I, it, it was never was really anything that I could under, really understand, if you understand what I'm saying. But down the road, all of a sudden, you see it. It's like, you know, you start, you're moving in it, and you see it, you understand it, and you read it, and you teach it, and you wonder why people don't see it and understand it. It's because they haven't gone through that process. They'll see certain things. And so, these things that Jesus does and says, he comes out and he says these things, you know, they're, they're oblivious to this. I had a scripture, I don't know where it is. Okay, it's in Mark, we'll look at that later. Um, he says these things and they don't perceive. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now look at this, verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. So they're still on this physical thing. They want the bread. They want their stomachs full. They want to be able to work the works of God. So now, okay, if, if you're not going to teach us how to work the works of God, well, give us here this bread always. Give it to us so that we have it. So our fathers had the manna every day. Give us this bread. We want it. It's a good thing, well, they didn't start quoting, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> well, maybe they said something, who knows. But um, this part of, of John 6 is not recorded in any of the other Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 is in some of the other Gospels. And Jesus walking on the water is in some of the other Gospels. But from like verse 22 to the end of the chapter is only in John. So it's all the information that you're going to get is on this, is this, this whole um, rendition of this. Okay, verse 34, they're still asking for this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, here they're thinking, I want the physical bread. And Jesus, I keep pushing that natural thing. Now, Jesus is still trying to get them out of that. And he comes out and plainly says, I am the bread of life. And you would think that that would stop them and that they wouldn't say, okay, you know, what, what does this mean? Have some type of a heart that wants to understand what Jesus is saying and a heart that believes him. They're not understanding. That's why I've told you before, you know, you must believe Jesus. You must believe him even though you don't understand. Because if you want to understand first, then you'll never see it because you're not believing him. But if you believe him, 
and you're putting your faith and trust in him, then the understanding will come later. But, you know, like people say, you know, I won't believe unless I see. Well, the Lord straightened Thomas out when he said that, didn't he? It's okay here. You, you want to see here. And Thomas was quite humbled by it. And I believe he learned something there of great value. And, and you, you must believe, and then the understanding will come later. But they're, they're interested in their own thing here. It says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. That's very plain. But see, that's not what they wanted to hear. So they're, they're not wanting to come to Jesus because that's not what they want to hear. So when you go to church, you don't go to church to hear what you want to hear. You go to church so that the Lord can give you and teach you and, and speak to you what he wants to, not what you want to hear. That's what it says in, in uh, Isaiah, where they said that they, and it's quoted in, in the New Testament, they, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they, they, they have teachers that tickle their ears. In other words, they, they go and they follow the teachers that say what they want to hear, not what the Lord wants to say. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. So they want the physical bread. Jesus wants to give them the spiritual bread. They want to be fed by the loaves. Jesus wants to feed them being the bread of life. And so there's two different things here. Two different realms. Two different ways. Uh, two different places. Uh, two different uh, realms of operation. And to get into this other place, you must go through the door. Jesus says, I am the door. That's the only way you're going to get in there. So they're not so interested in that. That, that goes to show you how obstinate a person can be. Have you ever run into anybody that's obstinate? You might say, well, uh, when I look in the mirror, maybe, <laughs> once in a while, we'll let the Lord deal with us and get that out of the way. It's, it's okay to be, um, I don't want to use the word obstinate. What's another, what's a synonym for obstinate? Yeah, I guess that's, well, I'll put it this way. Rather than be stubborn-willed, be strong-willed in the Lord. See, that's what he wants. If you want to be strong-willed, be strong-willed in the Lord, not against the Lord. So if somebody tries to push you in you know, the wrong way, you stand up to that. You don't let them push you the wrong way. It's good to be strong-willed. You know, they always say the strong-willed child. You don't want to break that. You just want to channel that. And so does the Lord. He wants to channel that. Verse 36. But I say to you, that you have seen that you have seen me and yet do not believe now that was quite an indictment there on the people they saw the miracles they saw Jesus 
but he says they do not believe. So he's looking for them to believe because if they believe, something will occur within them and then they won't be continually pushing this natural thing. Then Jesus can get them out of that and say, okay, now there's another realm here that's, you know, this, this is testifying of me. This bread, this man is testifying of me. So he says this, um, that they do not, they do not yet believe him, believe in him. So it all comes back here <clears throat> to Jesus. And they're not interested in that, they're interested in what they want. You know, it's like, uh, you, ever, you ever seen little kids? And one of them, they, they want something. And they'll go, and they'll go after it, and they'll get it. Uh, the other kid comes over and tries to take it off, and well, no, you're not taking my thing. And they're, I mean, they want what they want, and they're going to go after some Some kids are real strong with that, and they're going to keep that no matter what. They'll fight, they'll push, they'll slap, they'll bite, doesn't matter what it is. I want what I want, and that's it. Period. And, you know, we don't want to be like that as adults. We don't want to be like that when it comes to anything where we are going to push and push and push and push to get what we want. Much better to, to rest and, you know, just, okay, Lord, you know, you, if the Lord is in it, it just kind of just goes. If he's not, then we need to just draw back. So he wants them to believe him. All that the Father gives me uh, will come to me. What's he talking about there? All that the Father gives him. He's talking about the people. See, the, the Father has given you to Jesus. Do you know why? I'll show you in a little bit. When we go to Mark 6, it's because, I'll tell you now, I can't wait. <laughs> He's given you to Jesus because of your heart's response to him. That's why. So all that the Father gives me, all of them will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will. Now, they, they still don't put this together. Because they just ask him about the manna that came down from heaven. So Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so they're, they're totally oblivious to what he's saying here. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of, all, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. He's talking about all those that were given to him, all those who have come um, through salvation to Jesus, that he's going to, to hold on to them, and at the last day when, when they're all, their bodies are dead, he's going to raise them up. So you're going to die, I'm going to die physically someday, but we'll never spiritually die. But God's going to raise the body up. I don't know, probably the Bible says it's going to be changed. I hope it's changed for the better, and I think it will be. <laughs> it doesn't matter, it will be changed for the better. 
But I often wonder what that's going to be like. Verse 40. Now this is an interesting verse too. And this is, is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he says that everyone who sees, this is a present participle, which means that the person presently and continually sees and also believes is a present participle. That means you believe, you come in, and then you continually believe. So that's who he's, he's talking about. That, that's the will of the Father that you would see presently and continually and that you would believe presently and continually. I think that's really, really great. I, I, I don't know. Little things like that in the Bible just kind of, for me, just think, oh boy, that's nice. I get excited about the Word of God, I'm telling you. It's probably why I spend so much time in it. You know? Well, not this week, but, <laughs> but sometimes I do. And I, I see these little things and say, whoo, that's nice, Lord, I like it. So there's a truth there for you. You know, that's what the Father wants, that you would presently, continually see and believe. See and believe. That you may have everlasting life. Or, or, and that, that doesn't mean that you, you know, everlasting life, we always project that into heaven. But no, it's, all that means is a perpetual life. You have perpetual life now. And the life that you have now is perpetual and it, it will continue. Always. Your physical body will die, but the, the spiritual life that he gives you, this everlasting, why it's called everlasting life, it's perpetual life, continues on and on and on past this life into the, the next place, you know, heaven, you know, and all, all that's, that's there. So this is, this is quite, quite a... Um, good thing. It's quite a good thing that we're involved with here. You know, it, sometimes I think, you know, here we are in this little church, this little room, a little group, and it amazes me, uh, just for example, for, for me alone, that the Lord would have spent the time he spent on me pouring things, you know, of the Spirit or the revelation in, into me. I mean, of all the, 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 you know, you look look at this whole area. Thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in this area. And here you are in this little room that nobody knows about. In a little church that's off the main road that most people have no ideas back here. But it doesn't really matter, see, because we serve Jesus Christ. And he walks along... And it doesn't matter how far away, away from the mainstream a group is. If they want him and they desire him, he'll come. And he'll move wonderfully in a person's life. So, you know, you don't have to be in one of the big metropolitan areas. You don't have to be in a church of 5,000. And you can be in a church of twelve. 
John was. John was in the church of 12. And you had Jesus there teaching him. He was there. I think whenever a church gets real big, it loses something. I really believe that. So unless you're able to break things down a little in the big churches, you can have big problems. And you, you miss, a lot of people miss certain things. So, I mean, I often thought, you know, here we are in this little hole-in-the-wall church, so to speak, you know, not too many people. And I believe the Lord has opportunity to meet us in a special way because, you know, we're open to him or was moving. So it's not about the numbers. It's about seeking him, you know, wanting him in our lives. Uh, and not interested in all these programs. You can go to church to have churches that have all these programs for, you know, all the, all the kids and all. And that, I mean, that's okay. But, but it's like one person, well, this has happened several people, left and said, well, we want to go to this church because they have programs for the kids. So, well, you know, that's not, that's not it. You want them under the spirit, you know, where the spirit of God is, is coming out through the teacher and is teaching them. And some of them have left, and the one family, the family is devastated. It's just, it's just destroyed, destroyed. And I'm not saying that to puff up this church. I'm just saying that the Lord will come where the people draw upon him to come. They want him to come. And they're not so interested in programs as they are in Jesus himself. You know, we come in here, if, if we would get people in, let's say, come into the Bible school, and they'd come in here, and they would look at this room. This room's a mess. It is. There's stuff hang, laying over here. It's like, what? But that doesn't deter. That, might, that may deter someone from receiving because they're looking at the mess in the room. It's not like a real classroom classroom, you know? But that doesn't mean the Spirit of God can't move. He moved at Solomon's porch, outside of the temple. And people, their, their focus and what they, you know, want just it deviates from what the Lord really wants to do sometimes. They don't see it. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father, and we just read, read this, um, who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the, the bread which came down from heaven. Now this, this here is going to show you how they're still relating to the natural. Verse 42. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? See, so they're still relating to the natural. They're, they're just not seeing anything he's, he's saying. They're not really hearing what he's saying because they have their own agenda in all this. 
and they want what they want, and they're not going to you know, let loose of that. And because of that, they're not going to be able to see or perceive or believe his words. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can, can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him uh, or attracts him. And I will raise him up uh, at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So here in this verse, he's showing us something. Everyone who has heard... So, so there takes a hearing, and the hearing here is related always to the heart. So everyone here is listening to the teaching. But the actual hearing here is different among each of you based upon whether your heart is soft. Now, your heart may be softer than the person next to you. Or someone's heart may be a little harder. So that all affects hearing. So I have always prayed as a Christian, Lord, soften my heart. Keep my heart soft. Because you go through life. You go through certain things in your life. You go through certain circumstances. Certain things happen. And... Our tendency many times is to harden our heart. And sometimes we're not even aware of it right away. You know, know, we harden our heart, our attitude, whatever. And that affects our hearing. And he says here, everyone who has heard and learned. The word learned here uh, is uh, this the word disciple is a derivative of this word here, learned. So he's talking about discipleship, I believe. You have to hear and learn. See, a disciple is a learner. He's a follower, but he or she is a learner. It comes from the word learn, disciple. So everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to Jesus. So... You know, there's something in the hearing and the learning that will take us to the Lord. That's where it's going to take us. It's not going to take us to some other place. Um, This is what the design is. The design is to take you to Jesus. These people were not going to Jesus. See, they're they're going to him in the natural. They want their natural thing taken care of. But that's not really going to Jesus. Going to Jesus is that which is moving in a spiritual way. Verse 30, excuse me, verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. See, he he fed them 
with the physical manna and their bodies are dead. Uh, manna, you know what manna means. When you see, in the King James, when you see the, in the Old Testament, when it uses the word manna, it uses the, that's what it's translating. But if you actually go and look that up, in the New King James, it's translated as, what is it? That's the meaning of the word manna. What is it? So the question is, what is it? They didn't know what it was. Physically, in, in the natural, they didn't know what it was. And they didn't know what it was in the spiritual. They didn't figure anything out. What is it? Well, it's bread to eat for my body. Well, yes. But what is it? It testifies to Jesus being the bread of life. The one who provides, not just in the physical, but provides the spiritual man what the spiritual man has need of. That's what it is. What is it? Do you know what it is? Do you as a Christian, do you know what it is? It's manna. It's Jesus. Not know what it is here in your mind. I just told you it was manna, it was Jesus. Not, not that. But do you know what it is? Have you been fed in spirit with this manna? Have you experienced the provision of God, the provision of the Father, not just the physical, but have you experienced this life this bread to sustain you, to do something in your spiritual man that could be done no other way. Do you, have you ever experienced that? I believe you have. So, you have the answer, I believe, to what is it. So he says here, because they're relating to the natural, he says, your fathers ate that manna in the wilderness, and are dead. Even though it came from God, it still did not have what, what uh, it, it, how can I say it? It didn't have that which could sustain them spiritually. The physical manna. See, there, there was something else there that had to be eaten for them to be sustained spiritually. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, they had a lack of revelation. They didn't know what the manna was. Not, not just physically. They didn't know what it was spiritually. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven. They never saw it. I have come down from heaven. That's the spiritual manna. Your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness and are physically dead. Then he says, I am come down from heaven. See, that's the spiritual manna. Verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. 
Not physically. He's talking about spiritually. They are relating it to the physical. What do you mean if I eat this, I'm never going to die? Is this some, some superfood that I'm not going to physically die? He wasn't talking about that. It's the same words. They're related to the natural. And you know, that happens today. You know, the Lord says something. They're related to this. And as I was saying earlier, it's, and he's, he means this. He's talking about not the physical. He's talking about eating the bread of heaven, not the manna, him. He's the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven. The one that eats this will not die. You eat of Christ. You came to him. You gave your life to him. You fed off of him. You will never spiritually die. This is a tremendous promise in the Bible. Tremendous thing. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. For the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. See, now, to me, that's pretty straightforward. When he's talking about the bread, he's the bread. It's pretty straightforward. But they cannot perceive it because of their view of things here. They're not seeking Jesus to seek him to understand, to have uh, understanding and insight. They're seeking him for their own reasons they want fed physically. And because of that, they totally miss the whole thing. Just like they did in the wilderness. Exact same thing. They totally miss everything. How much can a Christian miss? A Christian can miss a lot. I mean, I think we all miss a lot. But I mean, if a Christian has their own desire, something that they want, something that is there, and they're pushing that and pushing that, and that's taking up their vision then they're not going to see and perceive and understand the words of life uh, because that's not their focus, that's not their interest. And I, I, years ago, I made up my mind and said, Lord, if I don't understand any of this stuff, that's fine. I, I still, I believe you, I trust you, and my heart is opened to understand, to learn. And I remember sitting up upstairs uh, here when Charles Hahn, was it here? I, yes, I, I believe so. Uh, right before he, he passed away. And I, I said, Lord, whatever this is, I want it. <laughs> That's all I knew. I mean, I understood certain things. But I said, there's something moving here in the spirit. I, I, it's something I just sensed in the spirit. There's something there. Not, not some, you understand what I'm saying. There's something moving in spirit. And Lord, I want that. I want to, to understand. I want to see. I want something in my life. And I didn't understand certain things. You know, I heard some of these things taught. And, uh, you know, it was like, whew, it was lost on me. No, it wasn't. It was lost on my understanding in my mind. But it wasn't lost 
on me because my heart was open. See, so it's not about you understanding all these things with your mind. It's about your heart being open to the Lord so that he can do something. He can bring things that are on a spiritual plane and he can have them lodge in you. And the understanding of that will come later. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And probably the understanding comes later because, you know, at certain points we just, we just can't perceive certain things because we're not developed. You know, we, we just don't. It's just like, you know, I, I wouldn't expect one of my grandchildren to be able to function in or handle certain responsibilities that an adult functions in. You, that, that doesn't, you can't do that. It doesn't work. Well, it's the same with us. You know, we, we can't handle and, and we can't shoulder certain things. We won't see certain things. It just takes time. And that's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. If you don't see something, don't worry about it. Just continue on. The Lord will, will bring what you need. Verse 55. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now he's talking about his sacrifice on Calvary. That's that what he's going to give for the world. You know, his flesh he's, is going to die. His blood is going to come out of his body. And the drinking of that is not a physical thing. That's a spiritual thing. They're, because they're relating all this stuff here in the beginning to the natural, that continues on through the chapter. That's why when he starts to say these things, I mean, in the Old Testament, uh, whenever they would kill the sacrifices, that they would drain the blood, they wouldn't eat the blood. You know, some, some uh, nationalities eat blood. Do you know that? They, they, they'll make things with blood in it. But he tells them in the Old Testament, you know, not to eat blood. So now, I mean, they're familiar with some of these laws in Leviticus. So when Jesus says this, you know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's like that was probably one of the, the most awful things that he could have told them in a way. If they're going to relate to the natural, that's like, you know, it would be like telling, telling a Jewish person to eat pork. You know, they don't eat pork, right? You just don't do that. You don't eat the blood, drink the blood. But he says that, he knows what he's talking about, and he's meaning one thing. And they're taking it a different way. And words are funny because, you know, when you read a word, a sentence, sometimes there's different things that come out of that. You could say something to someone, and you're meaning one thing, and they hear, they hear the words, and they, they think you mean something else. And then the other person that heard it, they may think it means something else that you just said. And all along, you didn't mean any one of them. So words are funny. And Jesus, it's funny. Jesus, you see this with Paul, he says things. He doesn't explain them. Because if you're going to relate in, in the natural, you're not going to ever get it. That doesn't matter. See, so if you're, you're relating to the natural... You're going to miss certain things. You might understand the words, but you're going to perceive them differently. You're not going to see them the way that the Lord has bringing them out. And this is a, a graphic example of this. 
He who eats my flesh, verse 56, and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So you eat the flesh, you drink the blood. There is a, a digestion here. And through this digestion, a union is formed. Look at 1 John 3. See, when you, when you eat of the Lord, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, so, so you, you eat that, you, you, eat, you eat his flesh, so to speak, and his blood, drink his blood. And whenever you eat physical food, what happens? It goes down, right? And then you have the digestion process, and things are broken down, and then assimilated into the body. Well, the same thing holds true in the spiritual realm. You feed upon Jesus, and you take him into your spirit, and then there's a digestion process, and there's a nourishment to your spiritual man. In 1 John 3, verse 24... Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. So that's what Jesus is saying here in the verse we just read. Abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has has given uh, us. Verse 57. As the living father sent me... And I live because of the Father, so he feeds on me, excuse me, he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So it's it's clear to see he's talking about some spiritual thing here. He's talking about you know, eating of his life that's going to be sacrificed later on. You, know, you partake of him. But like I said before, if you're going to re- relate to the natural, the natural man receives not things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. That's uh, 1 Corinthians two, fourteen, I think. So the natural man is not going to understand this. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him, to the natural man. See, he that, how does it say, he that uh, receiveth, let let me finish that verse. Okay, nor can he know them the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see that? So it's not that they're naturally discerned, they're spiritually discerned. The natural man is not going to receive the things of the Spirit. So if they're, not, if they're going to keep pushing this natural thing, which they did, then... The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Jesus is speaking. He says, "My words." we're going to see that later on here. My words are spirit and they are life. So the natural man can't receive that because that's foolishness. The things that he's saying 
are to be spiritually discerned. So you have to put all your, your, uh, your motives and your agenda aside that they didn't do that. And that's why they never came past that to understand. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things, now I, I didn't really, when I was reading this initially, I, I forgot about this verse. Because, you know, I was thinking that they, he said this out somewhere. But this, is, this was not where he said it in Capernaum. He was teaching in the synagogue when he said this. Verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Does this trip you up? What I said, is it, making you, is it going to make you stumble? Are you going to give up you know, pursuing? Are you, are you not going to believe in me? Are you going to give up believing in me? His disciples, he's, he's talking to the disciples, not just the twelve. There's other disciples there, other followers. Does this offend you? What then if, I should say, uh, should, if, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. So, you know, if, I, if you would see me ascend, Jesus says, would that make you believe? And probably not. They just saw the, the, lo- the miracle of the loaves. How much more do you need? A miracle is a miracle. Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits Nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So his words, Jesus' words, are to be spiritually understood. You cannot understand them by means of your natural man. So sitting down and studying is is good, but that's not how you will perceive and understand the words of the Lord. Now, if you sit down and you study and you say, Lord, you're depending upon him. Lord, you help me. You teach me. You know, you, that's different. Because then you, you're going to be depending upon the Holy Spirit. And then he can take spiritual things and teach you. But if you have an agenda, like people do, you know, I want to go and I want to, I want to you know, study and I want to get this. And I'm going to go and teach so that you know, this is my reason for doing this, this, and this, and this. Well, then you're not going to perceive his words and teach his words with any type of spiritual authority or power. Verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. So Jesus comes back to that same thing again. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Let me see here. I don't know what verse this is here. Verse 65, let's just continue here. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. 
Now, let's just hold our place there and go to Mark 6. Now, it, it would seem on the surface here that the Father, Jesus is saying that the Father picks and chooses. So, so, okay, you can't come to Jesus because it wasn't granted you by my Father. That's not what he's saying. That's how some interpret that, but that's not what he's saying. If you go back and look in Mark 6, verse 52. For they had not understood. The King James said they did not consider. My translation, for they, um, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. They didn't consider. And the word consider, or in the New King James, understood that means to put together or to comprehend or to have insight. Well, they, they didn't have insight because their hearts were hard. So the ones that come to the Lord that the Father grants that they come to Jesus are the ones who have a soft heart. See, it's not that the Lord is saying, well, you can't come, you can come. You can't come, you can come. And he, he walks around in all the churches, you can't come, or I, you, know, you know, some workplace, you can't come. It's not that. See, it's based upon their heart condition, and that heart condition now is the ones that the Father now can permit to come to Jesus. So your walk with the Lord and your progression in the kingdom of God, you, 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 will be either helped or hindered by your heart condition. So that you can go far, 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 far on with the Lord if your heart is soft. But if your heart begins to harden, well, that's something different. You may have some trouble, or you might not come along as far as the Lord may want you to. So a lot is determined by heart condition. And you remember in Mark 4, it talks about the different soils that the Word is sown on. So you have the thorny soil, the wayside, you know, that's the, you know, off the road, um, and the stony soil. Well, those are representative of heart condition. And then you go on, and it talks about the good soil. Remember that? The good soil produces what? Some 30. Go ahead. Some what? Can anybody, anybody know the verse? Produces some 30, 60, and 100. Fold. Well, why the difference there? He doesn't say. I believe it's because of heart condition. Some will produce 30. Some will produce 60. Some will produce 100. Not because the Lord says, oh, you're, I'm only going to let you produce 30. No, 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 no. See, a lot of things are based on your heart. You know, your heart. Are you soft? The, the stony soil, there, there was no production there at all. That heart, that, that heart condition, to hear the words and 
whenever we were ministering, I'm up there speaking, and we have like eight rows, and the guys up in front, you can always tell the, the, the guys that are Christians, they come up there sitting there with their Bible, up the front, front row. And then as you go back, you know, you can see it's different. And then the last three rows, there was about six guys over there. And they're, you know, carrying on, talking, laughing, and joking, and said, Lord, you need to do something. Because they might be, you know, hard soil. And the word's going to just fall and just be washed away. So I said something. I said, now some of you guys in the back might have came down here just to get out of yourselves, and you could care less about what's going on here. I said, but the Spirit of God is here to touch you and to change you. And it was like, they hooked at me. <laughs> like, huh? What? And then you know, someone else got up and talked, and at the end, when we gave an altar call, those guys jumped up. Not all of them, but, but some of them. And it was like... So, you know, you don't know. I mean, we know that particular truth as it relates to people in the world. You see people, their, their hearts are hard. And, you know, they hear certain scriptures. that They may hear a testimony from someone, how the Lord's touched them and changed them. And there's thorns in their heart. And, you know, it just chokes the word. The little, the little shoot there wants to come up and it just chokes it out. It's like the garden. And, and unless the Lord gets in there and starts tilling with the tiller and breaks some of that stuff up, I mean, there's nothing going to happen. And sometimes the Lord does that. And he gets in there with the rototiller and tears up the heart. Well, that's a good thing, you know. If you want to have a garden and your soil's hard, do, wouldn't you want to have some tomatoes or some lettuce? Who likes lettuce? Oh, yeah. The tomatoes? You like tomatoes, Phil? Oh, yeah. I mean, so what about when you get the tiller out and you start to turn over the dirt and says, hey, the dirt says, get off of me. I don't want you to get off. Well, see, if you're going to have tomatoes, you want to have lettuce. If you like beets, I like all this stuff, or beans, whatever, you have to work the soil. And when the soil gets worked and it's light, you plant the seed and you get some water, you know, then, you know, it, it starts to come up. But we don't like it if the Lord gets out the rototiller and starts to do that in our heart. You might see there might be a little bit of, you know, hardness there. You get a... Well, that's okay. That means something's going to be produced in your life. But it's much better to you know, just have a soft heart. Let the Lord just soften your heart. You know, let the rain of your presence fall on me. So the Lord wants to work the soil a little bit so that rain can penetrate, you know. That's why sometimes it takes a while in the service. It took 40 minutes, 40 minutes of ministering before those guys were in a place where they can receive. I was watching it. I was sitting there watching it. 40 minutes. And sometimes a, a church up here, it takes an hour. A song service is an hour, and sometimes it's, it's just to the point now where some people, you know, where they can, the Lord's working there, and now they can respond. And a lot of times people were, a lot of the people were all ready, even in the beginning of the service, but the Lord's waiting for some of the others that aren't ready. And so it goes on and goes on. 
and then the Lord's working. And then now, you know, maybe sometimes it's like during the, the, the song service and then even during the preaching and, the, you know, and toward the end, now the person's ready to receive. It's really, we're funny. It's, it's strange. Much better to allow the Lord to bring us in with a soft heart. And then we're, you know, we're ready. And the Lord can just let the rain of your presence fall on me. Let me worship you, Lord. Verse 66. From that time, the word time here is, you'll see in your Bibles in italics. That means it's, that word is added by the translators. That's not in the original Greek. I mean, it's not a bad word to put in there. It, it's true, but uh, from that time, it is true. Many did, uh, did not uh, walk with him any longer. Actually, if you go back to verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. So from that saying, now down to verse 66, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And um, that word with, there is the preposition meta, which means fellowship. So they, they, they didn't want to keep companionship or fellowship. It also is a preposition of motion. You know, they, there was no, no longer a motion toward Jesus following him. See, that, that now is gone because they could not receive his sayings. And the reason they could not receive his sayings is because their hearts were hardened. They did, and they, they couldn't understand because they didn't, you know, the, the loaves and the fishes, their, heart, their hearts were hardened, and that thing just went progressed all the way through this chapter to where now they can't get past what he's saying, and they're offended at what Jesus says, and their hearts were hardened. They continued to function and want that which was a natural and so they, they missed it completely, so much so that a lot of these disciples, these people that were there following him, they went back and walked no longer anymore with Jesus. And that was very sad. That's not what Jesus wanted. But if you can't get a person out of that natural thinking, eventually that's going to be the direction they go anyway. So if you get somebody that comes into church and they're always thinking the natural. That's the relating to the natural. And I've seen this over the years many times. Uh, you know, this one individual I worked with, you know, I've talked to him. He's, he accepted the Lord when he was younger. And he always relates things to the natural, to the natural, to the natural. And recently, I haven't seen him for, for a long time. And he recently called me, and he once wanted my opinion on some extraterrestrial thing related to the Bible that he saw and heard. And when he was done talking, I said, that's a bunch of garbage. I said, the best thing you can do is just put it away and don't, ever, don't even think about it anymore because it's just garbage. It's just to confuse you. But he's, he's one of the people that, that I, I've seen that. He's a great person, but he relates to the natural. He relates to that. And it's not that he doesn't know certain things. He knows a lot of scripture, a lot. But he relates to the natural a lot. And um, I would like to see the Lord do something with him to get him out of that. 
The Lord here with these individuals here, you see he came, he says, my words are spirit and their life. And you know, Jesus spoke with power. He spoke with authority. And yet his words here, you know, with them, it, it didn't um, do what it was supposed to do. And that's the way it is, with, you know, a lot of times with a lot of people. It's sad, but that's the, the reality. Verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, I, I love this, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. Yes, that's right. So Simon Peter knew that much. He might not have known very much at this point. You know, the disciples... They, they were on the learning curve here. They didn't understand certain things. They didn't see, see certain things. They didn't perceive certain things. But at least one thing he knew. You have the words to eternal life. And that's all we need to begin with. You know, That's all you need. You have the words and I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to turn around and go another direction. There's nothing there. There's nothing left in the world for you. You know that, don't you? There's nothing in the world that's going to satisfy you. You know, we've all come that way, and we've all experienced certain things in the world, and none of them were satisfying. They, I mean, they may satisfied our, uh, some pleasure we had for a short period of time, but there was never any uh, value, an inner value to it. It, was all, it all ends up being empty. And so going that way, it's, there's nothing there, nothing. You know, but you, Lord... You have the words of eternal life. And he still does today. And that's why we come here. And that's why we follow him. Because he has the words of eternal life. And Jesus is the bread of life. And he will continue to feed you as a Christian. He's not going to stop. If you continue on with him, he will continue to feed you and bring you along and develop you and bring you to maturity and, and do what he does the best, and he does a lot of things good, uh, you know, placing in you his character, taking out of you what is not of his character, he's good at all this stuff, and it's a wonderful, wonderful walk, and it's a wonderful Christian life to be involved with the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, uh, the one who has the words of life, to be involved with him. There's nothing better. Nothing better. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll continue next week.